Well, welcome to the Estates Made Simple podcast. Uh, my name is Gordon Vanderleek. I'm the founder and managing lawyer for Vanderleek Law and want to welcome uh, or introduce you to our, our my co-host, uh, Jenna Carvello of Guardian Estate Company. Welcome, uh, Jenna. It's nice to be uh, podcasting uh, today. Yes, yeah, nice to see you. I know we had a little bit of a break for the summer months, but it's uh, it's good to be back. It is, it is. And yeah, we wanted to jump into the topic today of powers of attorney and and uh, spend a little bit of time talking about that, of course, in as it relates generally to the items that we're talking about uh, on this podcast. If you're listening or watching on our YouTube channel, uh, recognize that uh, it's general information that hopefully is helpful for you, but not intended to be legal advice for your specific situation, at which point uh, you should consult with a qualified practitioner uh, about anything we're talking about or estate administration in general to see how that affects you and your situation. With that, it was interesting, um, Jenna, when we talk about powers of attorney, it strikes me that they're one of those documents that almost are kind of a throwaway, right? In the Like when we think of estate planning, we talk about the will or, okay, going through probate and dealing with the estates. Okay, well, well, this this document uh, called the power of attorney, like it's 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 the the lesser cousin of of the important documents. But really, I think it's it's one of those areas where it can there can be some problems. And mm-hmm. I look forward to um, sharing and getting into a little bit of a conversation with with regard to that and maybe highlighting the importance of putting some thought into not only how a power of attorney might be crafted, but what do you do with the sort of the pre-death financial dealings from an estate situation. So yeah, give us some of your thoughts with regard to uh, sort of uh, before we get into some of those broader considerations for for a power of attorney. Yeah, well, I would I would argue that a power of attorney document is 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 equally as important as a will. Um, when you're acting as an attorney under an enduring power of attorney, it can continue for several years, and there's a lot of roles and responsibilities that are involved in, in you know, acting as an attorney. So, you know, you're you're managing someone else's wealth for a period of time, and it's important to take that role very seriously. So, a, a power of attorney is a legal document. Just to step back a, a second here, is a legal document appointing someone to act in your shoes for financial and property matters matters if you become incapacitated or if you decide you want someone to act on your behalf. Um, So a power of attorney document can actually be activated on different scenarios. One, incapacity, as I mentioned. Other, if you're going traveling and you want someone to to take care of a certain matter, or even if you just need some assistance on a day-to-day basis, you can appoint someone to to help you with that in a power of attorney document. An attorney can really do almost anything that you can do um, if you still held capacity or if you were still present to manage your own affairs. But there are certain exceptions um, that we wanted to highlight today because uh, I think that could, as you alluded to before, that could get into a little bit of mess if we uh, if we did things that we weren't supposed to do under an enduring power of attorney. Exactly. I think those are some good opening uh, comments and and I think there is some flexibility with regard to the on the planning side of how do you craft the power of attorney and when does it come into into effect? As it relates to executors, I think it, it almost goes without saying, but worth repeating to say one of the things you'd want to do is take a look at the power of attorney document, right? Because you're going to start with, well, what's 
what's the property out there? What happened to the property? Mm-hmm. What happened in the bank account? You, your responsibility starts from the date of your appointment as an executor, and you're going to look to, okay, what happened as of the date of death? But the reality is, if it was somebody other than yourself, then you have to look back at the period of time where the, the deceased person had somebody else managing uh, managing their, their property. So some things that that would be restrictions or items which should not happen under under a power of attorney. Normally, uh, unless the document specifies, you wouldn't have any donations to charities. Mm-hmm. So this, in some cases, um, we're putting specific clauses on the planning side. We're putting specific clauses in the power of attorney to say, well, if I have a demonstrated intent to um, make a donation to a charity, then I want that to happen. Maybe a common example might be, well, what if somebody is in the practice of tithing, right? So they take a percentage of their earnings and they they might give it to a church or a mosque or or a, a religious institution as part of the um, manifestation of their faith or their beliefs. You know, if if mom regularly gave, you know, $100 a month to the church, well, can the power of attorney carry on with that? So again, you got to read the document to say, well, was that permitted? Um, I mean, if you're acting under a power of attorney, your your authority comes from the document, so it's important. If you don't have that authority, you can't do it, right? Mm-hmm. And and so it's important to to know that you cannot reduce somebody's estate, right, or or their wealth uh, for the when it's not for their benefit. Even though, well, of course, mom would write a check every month to the church of course you know that like what's controversial about that but you can't do it right Uh, because you're actually taking that hundred dollars away from mom and what if that impacts mom's quality of life or her ability for that where it gets a little tricky i mean that you know another example might be to to other family members right Um, let's change the situation a little bit and mom was you know every christmas gave every grandkid $200, $200, right, for Christmas or an amount of money on their birthday. That That's not uncommon that you see that happening and there's a regular pattern. Again, wouldn't be authorized under, under the document. So if you're the executor looking at an estate, you want to examine to go, was there anything in terms of the managing, in my example of mom's money, that would give rise to having to investigate uh, and get more information. So mm-hmm. certainly you as you as we've highlighted in other uh, podcast episodes, there's a clear fiduciary obligation in terms of managing somebody else's money during the period of time you are an executor. but you can't you can't just ignore the past even if it wasn't you, right? Um, so that's something just be aware of and 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 you know you may need some financial and legal advice with regard to, well, what about that? You may have to, at a minimum, just go get those records and and or request the attorney under the power of attorney to do an accounting. Can you mm-hmm. can you reconcile where the money went and was it authorized? Because you may have an obligation to pursue reimbursement of money to the estate if a bunch of expenses were not authorized. Right. Mm-hmm. So you you have to you have to have a look at it with with regard to that. The other thing that it doesn't happen a lot, but I see it happening more is where people will assume that under the power of attorney, they have the authority to change a beneficiary designation. Right. So, well, that's not what mom wanted. She wanted this, right? So, yeah, that's a no-no. The the banks and financial institutions should not be accepting any requests. And I think for the most part, 
there'll there'll be pushback on that. But I've seen situations where they let it go through, or maybe you know the person at the on the front lines receiving that request at the financial institution isn't uh, fully aware of of the rules or doesn't get get advice from their legal department as to whether they can do it or not. So yeah, you cannot change the outcome of the estate, right? If if mom had a certain desire of how to distribute her property, you can't change her testamentary wishes mm-hmm. by virtue of your authority under a power of attorney going, well, I think this is what she wanted. Well, no, the legal document or in the absence of a will, what the rights are for beneficiaries on intestacy, you have to honor. And in fact, if there is a if there is a will, you have to read it and make sure you, you manage the property consistent with the intent as laid out in that legal document, right? You got to preserve the property that might be subject to a gift or get some advice as to what you can do with it in those in those circumstances, right? So uh, yeah, there are definitely restrictions um, and it's an area that if you're taking over an estate, it'd be one of the first things you want to determine is get the document, look at it, figure out what's gone on during the period of time it was active, which, as you pointed out, could be either. It doesn't necessarily mean when the person's incapacitated. You could have a situation where the power of attorney is activated while they have their full faculties because of tra- they're traveling or for other reasons, as, you, as you've articulated. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I think you bring up a good point is if you're planning for your estate right now, um, that's a good argument to have the same party act in your power of attorney as well as in your will, because the executor would have a responsibility to look back and ensure that those funds are, are used properly. So if it's the same party, then then there's a little bit more um, responsibility in accounting it, it just placed on one person rather than split. So, yeah, I think. Uh, I think a power of attorney matters can get complex, can get emotional, because if you're acting as an attorney, the other family members might be asking what's happening to mom or dad's money. You know, why is their account balance going down? And all these things cause stress in the family dynamics. And so it's it's important, you know, to consider ensuring that you have proper accounting throughout the process. And that's one of the tips that we wanted to to bring out is, is if you're acting you know, track all of your expenses as well as all the income because you may get questions in the future and you need to ensure that every penny is tracked and, and properly accounted for. And back up for all those, right? And mm-hmm. in some cases you go, it's not an answer to say, sorry, I can't find the receipt <laughs> for making yeah. those payments, right? Or if you took some cash out to pay for things on a cash basis, you've got to account for that. If not, you got to put the money back. So you, you definitely want to um, get appropriate advice on the proper record keeping. And you can't just assume, especially if the power of attorney has been around for a while, that you can go back and recreate those records. That's a whole lot of work and it's just mm-hmm. easier to do it along the way. One of the things we see an, a growing trend in would be to create that requirement for an informal accounting. So uh, for our listeners, I want to indicate clearly that you can always access the courts, right? You can make an application to the courts to do an accounting and to sort these issues out. But I guess it goes without saying is that can get expensive and can take be time consuming and kind of a stressful thing to access the, the, the justice system to get redress on a particular problem. But what would be better, I guess, consistent with what you're saying in terms of best practices for maintaining the records would also be just regularly do an informal accounting. And sometimes we're building those clauses right in to say, well, okay, there has to be a quarterly reconciliation and it's not going to court. But, you know, if you're managing mom's 
bank accounts and her investments and her property, why not informally report to your siblings if you're the sole under you know the sole person under power of attorney and you know you're going to be executor? Wouldn't it be good that everybody in the family knows exactly what's going on and there's no questions? Well, that would be a lot cheaper and you're increasing the transparency of your management, which is going to be a, a mitigation for risk of of things going out or somebody coming along and saying, well, do I need I need a formal accounting or or make life more difficult when we get to an estate situation, right? Uh, so if you take steps while you are under the power of attorney, that could go on long ways to avoiding uh, the matter ending up in in front of a judge or having to do a more complicated accounting because you've done it more simply and informally along the way on a regular basis. You got to be careful about what you disclose and and every family situation is unique. So I think you want to get specific advice as to to what makes sense in, in the circumstances. But it is important not only to do what you suggest, Jenna, which is keep good records, uh, but you could consider, well, why not share that with other parties, right? Would that would that help in in the circumstance? Right. And I think, you know, having an accounting does provide backup uh, in terms of if you wish to seek compensation in the future, because there are a lot yes. of duties response and responsibilities associated with the role and, and a lot of time spent. So if you want to be paid, uh, you better have, you know, good records and, and proof to, to back up what you'd like to, to pay yourself. Or on the flip side of that, you might be in a position where you receive the records from the person under the power of attorney. If you weren't the attorney, but you are now the executor and you're going to have to review that and make a decision, am I going to pay the request for compensation, right? Mm -hmm. Has everything been done properly on that? Because obviously the duty of the executor is to maximize the value of the estate. Uh, and that might mean to pursue reimbursement if if things have gone awry, right? Um, or there's been self-dealing or other breaches of those responsibilities under the power of attorney. So that's where it kind of spills over into the estate and is important to to sort those out and hopefully in a manner that doesn't involve the courts because mm -hmm. that gets can get expensive and time consuming. Mm -hmm. Some good thoughts and, and hopefully we've sparked maybe for our listeners some ideas uh, about this. And so it would encourage you certainly to follow up. You can follow through our social media channels, uh, submit a question, uh, or reach out to us individually if you have any particular questions about uh, this subject matter, anything that we're talked about, we'd be happy to have a conversation with you to give that specific advice we talked about at the beginning to see how do, how do these legal principles, these administrative principles play out in your particular situation. So um, I guess in closing, want to thank you for listening and uh, be sure to subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode. And we look forward to uh, having you join us on our next podcast to continue to delve into uh, how do we make estates simple, uh, which is the goal of this podcast is to provide information for executors to um, simplify the more complex area of state administration. So thank you, Jenna, for the conversation. Thank you, Gordon. All very interesting stuff and uh, and hope everyone enjoyed the today's episode. <laughs>